Welcome to the Buckeye Beef Bite. This is episode four of a six-part series of discussions with beef industry specialists at OSU and in Ohio. In this episode, we interview Ron Kramer, manager of the OSU Meat Laboratory. Enjoy the show. Hello, Clifton Martin here with OSU Extension. I'd like to welcome you to our winter 2021 beef podcast series where we feature guests in and around Ohio and Ohio State University. We are recording these podcasts released through the Ohio Beef Newsletter, so you can look for more of these interviews there at beef.osu.edu. I'm here with Garth Ruff, OSU Extension Beef Specialist, and our guest today is Ron Kramer. Hello to you both. How you doing, uh, we have several questions for you, Ron. Uh, right. But first, let's cover the background information. Uh, if you can just share a little bit more with us about uh, who you are, right. what your role is with OSU, and uh, kind of what you do every day. All right. Uh, again, my name is Ron Kramer. I'm the uh, meat laboratory manager here in the animal science department uh, almost 11, 11 years now. And uh, before I was here, I came from the High Department of Agriculture, where I was with the uh, Department of Meat Inspection for 32 years. And prior to that, uh, I got my skills, I guess you might say, in the packing business. I got out of school. Ron, uh, you know, the meat lab at Ohio State serves a couple of unique purposes and functions. Uh, for those unfamiliar, can you share some detail about what happens in the meat laboratory at Ohio State? Sure. Uh, meat lab is a uh, fully inspected facility. We're inspected by the FSIS USDA every day. Uh, there's somebody here and during our harvest times, they're here. Uh, we're a complete from the hoof to the table facility uh, utilizing, uh, first off, we're an educational research and then uh, a processing facility because once we take and, and have access to those carcasses, we turn them into uh, retail cuts and further processed products. Uh, we make bacons, hams, hot dogs, all kinds of different sausages. Yeah, and probably some of the best bratwurst that I've ever had. Um, from your time at Ohio State, dating back to you know working in some of the processing plants in and around Columbus, what are some of those changes or trends that you've seen uh, go through the meat processing industry over the years? It just amazes me to look back, uh, even uh, you know, in my own packing house days, uh, the modernization of, of the packing business. Um, a lot of the small facilities are are gone and you have your uh, mom and pop operations that we call them. But uh, just uh, I always I always say that uh, a lot of the small packers are, uh, you know, you're cutting freezer beef for families and uh, where a lot of the facilities uh, I've seen at just the times that have changed and what people are using at home. Uh, like when I was a kid, mom was home. So she cooked roast and, and those long cooking items. Now you've got both parents that are working. So uh, mom's going to stop by and pick up something that's uh, quick and easy to fix uh, that uh, the, the family can eat. And then we save the long cooking items for the weekend. Um, I know that uh, a lot of the packers sent out uh, quarters of beef, uh, cut uh, primals, uh, took them to the grocery stores. Well, you don't see many grocery stores anymore unless it's a specialty store that cut uh, beef now. 
it all comes uh, packed in uh, boxes from the big packers and in the subprimal uh, part of it. So um, just with the uh, part of HACCP, when HACCP came in in the mid-90s and uh, turned a lot of responsibility over to the Packers to kind of police themselves and to where us as inspectors uh, just monitored the paperwork part of it. And I know that a lot of the small Packers had a problem with uh, the developing and maintaining HACCP because they didn't understand what it was. So a lot of regulatory has changed. Uh, maybe along those lines, just real briefly, can you explain what HACCP is and uh, what it what that process means to food safety? It's uh, HACCP means a hazard and analytic critical control point. And what it is, is each product, uh, you have a fresh meat, uh, whole I uh, cut items, or you have ground, or you have further processed products. And your process is different for each one of those items. Well, even if you have the slaughter part of it, you have to develop HACCP plans for your slaughter. And, uh, and what you do is you follow that uh, process from beginning to end, and you have to evaluate your process to find out where there might be some sticking points or critical control points is what that means, whether it's product temperature, like slaughter, it's zero tolerance for fecal bile ingesta. And uh, the, the big thing out now is uh, uh, humane handling. And we all know that humane handling is a very important part of the process because that's where uh, it affects the quality of the meat, uh, the carcass, if they're not handled properly. So uh, uh, you evaluate your process, develop a plan, and look for those points in that plan to where something could take place with the product and cause a deviation, whether it be temperature or sanitation. If uh, if I'm a small processor, I mean, what kind of characteristics characteristics am I looking for? Uh, and, and the beef animals that are coming into my facility? Well, you want them to uh, uh, be healthy. Uh, you want them to look healthy. And you want somebody that's reputable that you're buying them from or bring them in, especially if you're going to be using them for your purposes of putting product out. I know years ago uh, when I was with inspection, uh, there was, we could do down and disabled livestock. You know, you might've had a, a cow that uh, split out or a, a beef that broke a leg or something like that. Well, with the Humane Handling Act, uh, you cannot bring those animals in a facility anymore. They have to be able to walk in. So that done away with a lot of uh, uh, disabled disease livestock. Um, that was part of our processes. Uh, it's called anti-mortem, where we would evaluate these animals coming in. So uh, that's that's what these small facilities want to do. They want to bring something of quality in from a reputable reputable person. Absolutely, uh, with the focus on quality, and at this point uh, through this COVID pandemic, um, we know that there's certainly a bottleneck 
across our local processing plants in the state. Uh, maybe you've seen an uptick in business as well. Yeah. Uh, can you comment on, you know, what's happened across the state and, you know, what advice do, can we give to producers or processors uh, to address that challenge? Well, I'll tell you what, what would help the situation is if we had some more, uh, more small processors out there. Uh, I know when I was with inspection, we had close to 600 facilities, state inspected facilities. And now I, from what I remember hearing, that's at 200 or less now. And uh, I don't know what would have caused that. Uh, but um, I know uh, we were shut down for a while due to this COVID. And once the protein shortage started hitting the grocery stores and made it impossible for people to uh, get the proteins they needed, we opened back up again. But also we got phone calls, you know, from people uh, looking for a place to take uh, livestock. And uh, we did help some. We can't help everybody uh, just because of the way we are. I had three students and myself and uh, Ethan, and uh, that was the only ones in the whole building. So uh, more facilities would be awesome if we could have uh, more uh, harvest facilities and processing facilities out there. I, I know we brought in a couple this week. We harvested cattle yesterday and uh, uh, the lady was having a hard time finding a place to bring these two beef. She's uh, uh, an employee of the university here and uh, we went ahead and brought those in. Kind of shift gears here. You mentioned having a couple students on campus. Um, what, what, what does that look like as far as being a student employee and uh, what can the students learn as far as career possibilities? Well, when I first came here, I, I, I told uh, uh, Dr. Zerby and Dr. Kinder who hired me, I said, we're, we're teaching uh, young people, our students to uh, go out into the industry. And I don't know of any meat industry that starts at 10 a.m. in the morning. So I said, once I come in here, we're going to start just like a regular meat plant. And so my goal is to teach these kids uh, the harvest, the processing and the further processing aspects of, of, of the meat industry. And uh, uh, we've had several kids that, uh, that worked in the meat lab, some now that are uh, going into veterinary medicine. Uh, some have went on to work in uh, quality assurance in, in different plants. And uh, just look at Garf. He was a, 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 an employee of the meat lab and look at where he's at now. So that, that's trying to give them all the aspects of the meat industry and to uh, just exposed to that plus with the HACCP. Uh we have all we have like nine HACCP plans here and so uh, I give that over to the kids I you know we teach them how to do that and what to look for and they fill out the records and things like that do you see um oh I just one of the conversations that comes up in, in a lot of agricultural endeavors is kind of this question of uh, adding value to products and, and maybe even conversations about niche markets and, and just mm -hmm. how it, a lot of it comes down to marketing. Um, what, what opportunities do you see right now for producers and processors uh, as, as they explore some of these 
value added opportunities. I, I, uh, I always say it's learning that structure of that uh, carcass, uh, where the muscles come from, uh, the, the better cuts instead of like, I'll use a chuck roasted as an example. I know when my grandmother would go to the store, she always bought an arm roast or a seven bone chuck roast. Well, within that chuck is your top blade or your chuck tender. And so we have the flat iron stake that comes from the top blade. So it's learning how to pull those muscles apart, pulling that chuck apart to pull those muscles out of there and come up with a, a instead of a, a chuck roast or ground beef, we have a, a $6 a pound item now in top blade stake or a chuck tender roast. Uh, also, we've done some uh, value adding with the uh, round. Um, like you have the knuckle that comes out of the round. Well, you know, there's pastrami. Uh, normally pastrami is made out of the beef brisket. Well, we've taken that uh, beef knuckle uh, around part that you would maybe sometimes kebab, a uh, fanciful name for it, be sirloin tip. But we've cured them and, uh, and coated them in a pastrami seasoning and smoked them and cooked them and sliced them for pastrami. And uh, just various, just knowing the structure. I even had a, a, a one of the small processors that called me here one day, said he had a customer that was wanting this beef cut that he could get a flat iron. Well, the processor didn't have any idea what a flat iron was. And so I had to explain to him uh, uh, how to pull that chuck apart and pull that top blade out of there and then how to, you got to almost flay it like a fish, almost because there's a membrane in the center of it. But you you won't find a finer piece of steak than a top blade of flat iron. Ron, uh, you know, in our extension teaching, you know, we d- we work with producers, and a lot of times we talk about beef quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we're in that niche marketing, working with our small processors across the state, a lot of times those beef cattle, those carcasses aren't graded. All right. Um, so how do how do we work with those growers and those uh, processing plants to assess quality and assign a value to those beef animals? Well, uh, we, we kind of have the luxury here uh, of uh, most of us here, uh, you know, uh, when we rib those cattle, uh, we can uh, judge a quality and uh, in them at that time. But, uh, you know, it's just once you get the hide off of them, uh, you, that's when you know if you have a quality, uh, you look at that animal coming in. If it's nice and uh, square, uh, filled out, and, but you really can't tell until you get that hide off of them and, uh, and see what kind of fat covering they have on them, what and kind of internal fat, you know, visceral fat in them. But... Uh, uh, we always uh, rib our cattle uh, about a week later and just to uh, uh, do that quality check on them. And uh, we don't have a grading here either, but uh, we usually know uh, what we're, we're going to get at that time. Um, I guess it's just knowing, again, the reputable uh, person that you're buying those cattle from um and uh, what they look like once they get the hide off of them you talk 
you mentioned there a little bit, you know, ribbing those cattle a week later and, you know, assuming that you're letting those cattle hang in the cooler for mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, the question I get fairly often is, you know, how long should that beef hang or what's a good recommendation to let that beef hang in the cooler? Well, I always like to let them hang to that third week. I always uh, start cutting them at the beginning of that third week, uh, get some time to, uh, I, I don't want to say dry out, but they do dry out some, uh, get some of that moisture out of them and uh, it allows that uh, carcass to set up. And uh, what we'll do is we'll rib them uh, a day or so, uh, like on a Friday, if I'm coming into Monday to cut. And that way, then we can look at the bloom on that. And uh, we have a lot of people tell us that uh, how tender that meat is. Um, uh, just from that, that, that tissue starts breaking down, um, uh, makes it tender in there. Of course, some of that probably depends on how many cattle they have to get processed. That's true. I know that uh, like here, a part of Hassop, we can't we can't process any carcass until it's reached to 50 degrees or less. And uh, I know a, a lot of the big packers that I've been to, um, they're slaughtering today and cutting tomorrow. And uh, once that carcass reaches that temperature, they're breaking it down into subprimals. Well, those subprimals then go into a vacuum sealed bag. And, 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 and there's an aging process that takes place in that bag also. It's called wet aging. And uh, once uh, the grocery store receives that box of meat, it may be seven days or almost 14 days that that's been allowed to age within that bag. So there's a tenderization process going on there. We, we played that with some of that here also, where we have taken a beef that uh, almost that three week period and broke those down into the middle meats, uh, the ribeye rolls, strip loins, and uh, cryovactum and vacuum pouch and uh, let them sit another week, two weeks, up to three weeks and uh, let that tissue, uh, and you'll see purge inside that vacuum pouch. Well, that's just the water coming out. I mean, it looks red, but there's no, that's myoglobin within that water. And uh, you'd be surprised how much more tender that piece of meat is once you get that uh, that age on it. If, uh, I, you know, just as we kind of wrap up our, our brief time here, you know, uh, we've talked about a few things, current, current events now and uh, things in the past. But if you kind of think future directions a little bit, you know, if we mm-hmm. think five to ten years, do you see changes or, or foresee anything coming down the pipe here uh, in the Ohio meat processing industry or any particular trends that uh, you kind of have you know, your thumb on the pulse of? Well, uh, I'll say just to um, uh, we go back to value adding, find those cuts that your customers want. Uh, uh, I know a lot of the little packers, the small packers, uh, like you said, they're, they got a cooler full of meat and they're wanting to get those cut beef cut out. So I always tease the kids here that that's what I came from. I was a saw jockey. You know, we had the band saw. We'd break that beef down. We'd cut arm roast, chuck roast, and round steak and things like that. Well, uh, I can see 
in the future, uh, uh, proteins still going to be out there, but they're going to people are going to want different cuts. They're going to want those offered different ways. Uh, just back to like the top blade, the flat irons. There's a, a cut that comes off, and we pull a a, a chuck roll. That's uh, a nice piece of tender meat, but the uh, the rib part on that we we've we played around in here called Denver cut. That's a nice looking steak. You can make it look like a, a strip steak. And uh we have played around in that, but it's just uh I know that we get a lot of hogs that are pretty lean. Um I don't know uh, uh genetic-wise. Uh I know we've been getting a lot of uh crossbreed cattle in here, the Angus Wagyu. Um, Angus, uh, uh, we had Wagyu Jersey. So I think a lot of genetics are going to play in this. Uh, Garth knows more about the genetic part of it than I do. Um, but, uh, that's, uh, just, uh, uh, cutting for your customer, uh, you know, offering what they want and what they can handle. Might, uh, expand on a previous comment here as we wrap up. You know, you talked about uh, more small meat processors in the state to combat some challenges. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things to consider before getting in the meat processing business. Yeah. You can just offer one or two uh, pointers, uh, maybe to the, the, those folks considering, you know, they want to start a packing plant, but aren't aware of, you know, a couple of those main main points to consider. Well, I'll tell you, first off, you're going to have to have a large bank account. Uh, I know that uh, starting, uh, we had some facilities that uh, the main thing is if you had an old facility, the thing was not to close the doors. Because once you close the doors, there's no being grandfathered in. You have to come up to today's standards. So those old plants, they may not have the size plumbing needed today or the uh, the coating on the walls or the floors. So if you're going to start out brand new, it's going to cost you some money. And there's the equipment that you got to put in to facilitate the processing of, of those carcasses. And... Uh, Again, regulatory plays a lot a role in that. Uh, you not only have the uh, inspection part of it, but you have EPA. If you happen to be out in the country and you've got the uh, uh, cisterns and things like that, EPA plays a large part in that. So there's a lot of hurdles to think about, and and it's not a, a Monday through Friday job either. Uh, it's a Monday through Monday job. And uh, especially if you get into the deer processing part of it, where a lot of folks make their money during the year uh, and they draw in the sanitation part then. But uh, there's a lot to consider. Uh, I mean, it's a rewarding uh, job or opportunity and there's money to be made because there's a lot of people out there that uh, raise livestock and need outlets for it. Um, I, I, you know, one final question, I guess I'd throw out here. I think when we talk meat processing, there's, there's a lot to learn and there's mm -hmm. kind of a good bit of experience that needs to be built. Um, just, do you have a final thought about, you know, if, if I'm a young person who has some kind of interest here, um, 
you know, where do I go to get involved? How do I start? Well, you know, there's no meat cutting schools anymore in Ohio. There used to be one in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, uh, people paid money to go up there and process uh, 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 meat for this company. Main thing is to either, uh, I know a lot of universities have meat cutting, like Wisconsin, they offer a uh, meat cutting program. uh, I would say if you could get into a, a market meat market somewhere and just uh, get the, you have to start from the basement up, uh, whether it's cleaning, uh, grinding meats or just packaging. Uh, all those are very important parts um, and just work your way into a, a, a knife job. I know that's the way it was when I was in the packing business. I start on a cleanup crew at night. And then went to shipping department and then worked my way into a slaughter operation and then cutting. Okay. Sounds pretty similar to a lot of other, um, well, I mean, it's it's the same story in a lot of places, right? Just kind of get your foot in the door somewhere. And uh, that's the main thing. Kind of start building some experience. I mean, even the simplest of of tasks and really pay dividends. So. Um, you know, we've, we've, uh, enjoyed this conversation here. I've learned a ton, been pretty informative for me. Appreciate your time. Um, and for, uh, Garth and I both, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, you can find more from the series at the OSU extension beef team newsletter at beef.osu.edu. We appreciate your suggestions and comments, and we always appreciate feedback on our work. And you can provide that using the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the Buckeye Beef Bite.